to the bottom of Nundal and Amit Beis, the bottom line. The Gemara says, Shal Rav Chanina ben Agol, as Rav Chia bar Abba, Rav Mabed Dibbis Rishonis, Lenemar Rav Toiv, Dibbis Rachroinis, Nemar Behem Toiv. So why is it, the question is, why is it that in the first Aseris Adibris, it does not say the word Toiv, but in the second set of Aseris Adibris, by Kiyoroim, it says Lamani Tavlach, which is Toiv. So why is Toiv written in the second set, but not the first set? So, so Amr Loi, so his response was, I'll go with the Pshat and the Mepharshim, that this response was coming from a place of Anivus, of humility. He says, Instead of asking me why it says Taiv, ask me if it says Taiv. I don't even know what it says in there. So you're going to ask me, I can't explain, meaning I'm not 100% confident that I know what's in the Aseris HaDibris, let alone to explain it. So the obvious question is, these are Amiroi, and they're not, they, they knew the Aseris HaDibris. So there's uh, some explanations, but one explanation was that it was more Anivus. So he says, meaning, I, I don't know these things. I, ask someone who does. So, you should ask Rav Tancham ben Chaniloi, because he was very close to Rav Yishuvan Levi, and Rav Yishuvan Levi knew Agadah stuff very, very well. So Azla Gabi, Rav Chanina ben Agal went to Rav Tancham ben Chaniloi, and Amr he says, I never heard from Rav Yishuvan Levi an explanation. But I heard this pshat from Shmuel Bar Nachum, the uncle of Rav Acha Bar Chanina, and some say he was the grandfather of Acha Bar Chanina. That because the first set of Luchai Hashem knew it would be broken by Moshe Rabbeinu, he did not want the word Toiv in the Luchais. Now, what would happen if the word Toiv was in the Luchais when Moshe broke it? Who cares that it's eventually going to be broken? What, what's the difference? What, why is it bad if it's going to be broken? What would be the issue? So, Amar Ravashi, Chas Vishal and Paska Toiv because God forbid it would seem as if the Toiv for Kla Yisrael would be broken. So, Hashem didn't want the, even the optics that the word Toiv regarding Kla Yisrael for it to be broken, and therefore Hashem did not have the word Toiv in the first Luchas. Okay, Am Rav Yeshua, Rav Yeshua says, Haraya Tes if you see while you're dreaming, you see in your dream the letter Tes, Simen Yafalai, it's a good sign, because Tes stands for Toiv. My Taima, Ilay Mishim Dechsev Toiv, so Tes stands for Toiv, here's the problem, the letter Tes can also spell bad things, so why is that if you see the letter Tes, you could be confident that it's a good sign, because it means Toiv, maybe it means I'll sweep you away with the broom of destruction. And that's tataase, that's the test. So how do you know the test means toiv? Maybe it means sweep away for bad. So the answer is chates kamrinan. If it meant a sweep, which is tataase, that's two tests. It would say test twice in your dream. Because it says you only saw the letter test once, that's indicative that it means toiv. Because one test means toiv. Wait a minute. Maybe one test, tumasa. It means tuma impurity, Bishulao. Maybe it means impurity. How do you know test means taiv? Maybe it means tuma. Test bays kamrina. No, no, no. We meant if you see test and a bays. Test and a bays is taiv. Wait a minute. How do you know test and a bays means taiv? Emu tavu ba'aret sharao. Maybe it means to sink. Tavu means to sink. So maybe test and bays. It doesn't spell taiv. It means tavu. It means to sink. So how do you know the letter test in a dream is a good sign? Don't tell me because it could spell Taiv, because it could spell other words. So says the Gemara, You want to know why the word test means Taiv? It's not just because you could spell it. The first test in the Torah was in the word Taiv. 
If you go from Bereshis, the beginning of the Torah, the first time you'll see the letter Tess is by the word Taif. So that's indicative that the letter Tess in its essence is connected to good. Let's keep going. Amrav Yeshua ben Levi. If you see a eulogy, the word eulogy in your dream, it means hespid, it's chosu. Uh, hespid uh, means hespid is from the two words chos and pad, which means uh, spare and redeem. It means that something was bad supposed to happen to you, but Hashem spared you and you've been redeemed. You're good. But this is only if you saw the word hespid as opposed to seeing an actual eulogy. If you saw the word hespit, it's a good sign. Okay. Back to our concept in our Gemara. We said, uh, the Mishnah said that Kalayim applies to all animals and birds. That you're not allowed to misbreed and to plow together uh, birds and animals. It's a chicken a peacock and a partridge are all considered different species and you're not allowed to mix breed them right part of climb means mixed breeding so you're not allowed to mix different species of birds these three birds are considered different species meaning it's posh meaning why would i think that these birds it's a chicken a partridge and a peacock why would i think that they wouldn't apply they're all they're random of course it would be a climb because apparently, it's very common if these three birds are, they'll stay together in the same like building. Meaning it's common for them to live in the proximity of each other. So, you might think that they're considered, therefore, one species. No, these are separate species. Okay. Amr Shmuel, another teaching. A domestic goose and a wild goose are considered separate species, meaning there's an iser of klayim to mix a wild goose and a domestic goose. So, what's the rationale to say that wild geese and uh, domestic geese are separate? Now, the Gemara at first thinks that the reason why they're considered separate species is because they look a little different. The problem is, I'm sure you could have chickens that are all domestic chickens and they look a little different. It's, it's uh, animals sometimes can look a little different. So don't tell me, Maskara, my time. Why is it that you consider these two different species? Because this one has a long beak and this one has a short beak. So you look at the beaks are a little different. Here's the problem. Then you're gonna tell me a Persian camel and an Arabian camel, because this one has a thinner neck and this one has a thicker neck, that's also a different species of the same species, they're both camels. So, that, you know, come on, that, 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 that can't be enough. It can't just be because their beaks are a little bit different. So the Gemara says, no, it's not just that they look a little different, they're biologically different. How so? Uh, a male wild goose, the testicles are outside of the body, and the female and 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 the, a male domestic goose, the testicles are inside the body. They are they are um, um, biologically and anatomically different. So because of that, they're considered separate species. Rav Papa Amar, a similar concept. Uh, uh, another reason why the geese of wild and domestic geese are considered separate species. 
Apparently, a female wild goose only holds on to one egg in its gestation at a time, and a, a female domestic goose um, can have apparently many eggs inside her body at one point. Okay, so they're anatomically different, um, and therefore uh, they're considered separate species. If you mate two, two fish, if you cross-breed fish, that's a problem. So if you take a, 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 a tuna and a mackerel and you, you breed them together, that would be an issue of climb. My time, what's the source that climb applies to fish as well? It says the word limineyu by fish, and says the word limineyu by land animals. The same way by land animals, climb applies, so too by fish, climb applies. We said that in addition to climb of misbreeding, you're also not allowed to have two animals plow at the same time. You're not allowed to have a plow being pulled by a uh, ox and a donkey. It's also a form of climb. Now that you told me that fish also apply to the misbreeding of climb. What if I want to have a plow pulled by a fish and by uh, an animal at the same time? So I put the plow right by the water. I connect one harness of the plow to a shark. I collect one harness to a donkey. And they're plowing it, they're pulling it together. Is that a problem? So the Gemara says, If I connect a wagon to a goat... And to a shibuta fish. Shibuta fish is a big fish. Think of it like a shark. I connected the two, and they're both pulling the plow at the same time. Is that a problem of klayim? Mahu? Is that klayim? Miam Rina, do we say, well, keepin de easel inachas bayam, vishibuta le siliki abasha le klum of it? Do we say, well, while it is two different animals, but the fish never goes on dry land, and the land animal never goes in the water. So therefore, it's mamish like two separate domains, and therefore, there's no problem of mixed breeding. It's not mixed breeding, they're, they're separated by location. Or no, at the end of the day, two different animals are pulling this plow. That's the question. So basically, the Gemara wants to say it's not a problem from the following halacha. The halacha is that klayim only applies, at least according to this opinion, on a biblical level, klayim only applies in Eretz Yisrael. Outside of Eretz Yisrael, there's no problem. So here's the deal. I take in my hand uh, different seeds. Let's say I take wheat and I take barley. If I plant them together, that's crossbreeding, right? That's climb. I put them an inch apart. But it happens to be one is on the side of Eretz Yisrael and one is on the side of Chutzlaretz. What's the halacha? That's fine. Because they're separated by location. So if that's fine, why isn't it fine to have the harness on one side being pulled by a goat on dry land and on one side being pulled by a fish in the ocean? The same way that if the two seeds are separated by the dividing line of Eretz Yisrael's border, it's fine, because they're separated by location. So why not say the same thing by the water? So the Gemara says, Right? That's fine by planting, so it's fine by planting. Why is it a problem by pulling of the harness? And the Gemara answers very simply, and that is, the reason why by planting it's fine is because the halachas of climb do not apply outside of Eretz Yisrael. So therefore, the seed that is planted outside of Eretz Yisrael doesn't count. But over here, you cannot crossbreed fish. 
you cannot crossbreed land animals, which means the laws of climb apply both in the water and both on the land. Because the halachas apply everywhere, the fact that one is being pulled on land and one's being pulled by water is irrelevant. See, by the case of planting climb, the laws of planting climb do not apply outside of Eretz Yisrael. So if one of the seeds is outside of Eretz Yisrael, it's fine, you didn't do anything. But the, but, but the laws of pulling harnesses, which is climb, applies in the ocean and it applies on the land. So what's the difference if one and one? What's the difference? It applies here, it applies there. So it applies everywhere. So the Gemara says, Amri, hachi hashta, hasam eretz makam chiyuva, chutz eretz lay makam chiyuva, hacha idhvi And therefore, the sugyas are not comparable. Hajan alach shar shenogach esapar. Okay, turn the page. We are now starting what we learned together when we were in yeshiva. Not me and you, but hakoinus. Hakoinus soin ladir. So if someone's nervous, don't have PTSD. I'm sure it's not going to be that difficult. So we talked before about the responsibilities of an ox goring and the type of shmir necessary. Now we're going to talk about it regarding a sheep. Now a sheep doesn't do damage by goring. It does shane and regal. So it says, If you bring a sheep into a pen, and you lock the door properly, so you did a proper shmira, a good shmira, but it escaped and damaged potter, that's potter because it's considered an onus, it's considered out of your hands, because you did a proper shmira, but but if you did not do a proper shmira, and then it gets out and does damage by eating something or by stepping on something, then you are chayiv. So far, very, very easy. So far, so good. Let's keep going. Let's say you do a proper shmira, and the wall is broken at night. Something happens. I don't know. Lightning strikes the wall and makes a breach in the wall. Or robbers breach the wall. And the sheep gets out and damages potter. It's potter because again, it's an onus. But if the robbers took it out, the robbers are now responsible. See, if the robbers make a hole in the fence and the sheep just goes out on its own, then it's potter. Everyone's potter. But if the robbers take the sheep out, the robbers become the owners of the sheep, as we'll see in the Gemara how, and therefore they are responsible for any damage the sheep might do. Okay. Hanicha b'chama. So, you put on, you put the, you leave the sheep, let's say you did a, a regular fence, you put up a regular fence, but you left the sheep in the sun. And the problem is that when the sheep is in the sun, it's uncomfortable. Because it's uncomfortable, it loses its mind and breaks down the wall. That's considered a pshia. That was negligence on your part because you should not leave a sheep. You should not leave a sheep uh, in the sun. Or or you give the sheep to watch. You give it to a cherishaita or a cotton to watch. Because you should not be handing it over to these people. They're not responsible enough. Therefore, you're poshaya. Maslaroa, but if you give it to a shepherd, then the shepherd is responsible. So if you give it to a shepherd and then damage happens, the shepherd has to pay. Let's say it fell into the garden. So it got out of your, uh, let's say it, it fell out of your fence. It, 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 it fell over the fence, whatever it is, and it fell, or you were Peshea, whatever. It gets out of your field and it falls into another field and does damage. 
I'm sorry, and it eats there. Nanus, it eats. So Mishlam is Masha Nanus. You have to pay for what it benefited. Which means you have to pay for the value of what it uh, what it ate. As we'll see in the Gemara, the Mishnah in a moment is going to explain how you how you calculate that. Yard the Kedarka Vezeka, but if instead of falling, and you see it fell. Yeah, so it's basically like this. The animal fell out, which was an accident beyond your control. Let's go back a, a line. Nuflagin of Anenis. If it fell onto a garden, accidentally fell outside of the garden, uh, outside of your field, it fell into someone else's garden and benefited from the produce, meaning um, it either ate the produce or it landed on the produce and squished it. So Mishlemis Mashananis, you pay for what it benefited. You don't pay for the produce that it that it squished. You pay for how, what would you pay to put produce there? I mean, let's say it destroyed these very, very expensive strawberries. I don't have to pay for strawberries. I have to pay for uh, the amount of money I would pay to put tomatoes there, which are much cheaper. So you pay a much lesser amount. The reason why you're not as responsible is because it was an accident that it got out. But, yard the Kedarka, but if it went down to the garden in its usual way, so therefore, um, because this was not an accident, this was negligence, meaning you left the door open and the animal walked out and ate, then you have to pay for what it damaged. If it ate strawberries, you got to pay for strawberries. Now, how do you calculate the strawberries? Let's say it, it ate an acre of strawberries. Well, there's two ways to figure this out. You can go the more expensive route or the cheaper route. You could say, well, how much strawberries did it eat? 15 pounds. I'm going to the store. How much are 15 pounds of strawberries? you got to pay. That's how Rav Shimon calculates it. Shimon, yeah. The Rabbana do not calculate that way. That, that's, that's a lot of money. Here's what you do. Let's say it ate an acre of strawberries. You look at a strawberry farmer who's got a 10-acre field. You say to him, what's the value of your field right now? And then what would be the value if, it, if you lost an acre? It's going to be less than the strawberries in the store. It's just a Matthias. So let's say he has a $10,000 field that's 10 acres... You say, well, how much is it worth if it was nine acres? He'd say, I don't know, 9500 Because it's still a large field. I mean, it's not going to lose that much. Right? So it's $500. I guarantee you that if it, an acre of strawberries in the store will cost more than 500 So they're going to go a cheaper route. They're going to say, how do you pay for what it damaged? You figure out how much was a base saw in the field worth before it was damaged and after. And then you deduct the difference. Rav Shimon says, no. Shimon says, no, you got to figure out how much strawberry it ate, figure out the value in the store and pay for it. A much higher cost. Okay. Let's go weiter. Let's start the Gemara. The Gemara says like this. Now, it said in the Mishnah that if you brought a sheep into the pen and locked the door properly and then it gets out, and eats, you don't have to pay. Because you, you locked it properly. What's the definition of properly? How strong is the fence? A proper fence is a fence that could withstand the average wind. It's not a, st- a fence that will withstand a strong wind, but an average wind. That's considered fine. By definition, what the Gemara is basically saying is the type of watching that will exempt you from the animal getting out and eating is a fine. It's fine. It's not good. It's not great. 
listen, there's there's three levels. There's a fence that can't stand even a regular wind. That's trash. There's a stand, the fence that could stand by a regular wind, but not a strong wind. That's average. And then there's a fence that could withstand hurricane winds. That's super great. We're saying right now is that Yoyt's design, you do not have to pay if the fence can withstand the average wind. So what do you see? What is our mission talking about? Our mission is talking about damage done by Shane. Shane is a muad, right? Because a horn, Karen, has a distinction between Tom and muad. Shane and regular are always muad, which means our mission is saying that if the animal breaks out and eats, which is Shane, which is a muad, and you did an average level shmira, you're fine. So you see that an average level shmira is good for muad. Who is the author of that? If you remember, a couple days ago we had, that was a machloikis, Rav Meir and Rav Yehuda. Rav Meir's shita is that when it comes to Karen, they weren't talking about Shane, but they were talking about Karen. If the animal is a muad, you need a high level shmira, not average. Rav Yehuda said, no, a muad, an average level shmira suffices. Our Gemara, which says that for Shane and Regal, which is a muad, an average level uh, suffices, an average level shmira suffices, is probably not Rav Meir, because Rav Meir, now while Rav Meir was not referring to Shane and Regal, he was referring to Karen, Rav Meir said that for a Muad, you need a high-level Shmira. Our Mishnah is not talking about Karen, it's talking about Shane and Regal, but that's a Muad, and it says you need an average-level Shmira. So the Gemara says, Am Rav Mani Bar Patish, Man Tana Muad de Sagile Bishmira. Sure. Uh, one thing, what is, what is, uh, we're talking about a wind over here, right? Yeah. So if we're talking about a wind over here, Wind, uh, wind 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 over here then the situation should be that it, 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 it's not controllable what whatever type of lock they put on the uh, whatever whatever uh, whatever precautions they they took uh for the field to try to keep the animal in or not one thing has nothing to do with the other no because i put up a fence now the fence fell down so the question is but, did but yeah, because of the wind but, so the wind. oh so the question is how strong was this fence? What could it have been held up to? If the wind... We don't know how strong, we, we don't know how strong the wind was. Though. No, no, no. Let's say I you mean, know... How strong the fence was, though. No, so that's the point. We know that the wind that knocked it down was an average wind. It wasn't a hurricane. It was regular wind that you get every day of the week. If the, if the fence blew down from that, then that means that it was a fence that could not withstand even regular wind. The case is of our Mishnah, where it could withstand regular wind, which means the wind that knocked it down was hurricane winds. And I didn't buy a hurricane fence. I bought a regular fence. I did a regular shmira. And the Mishnah says, you're potter. So you see that a regular shmira suffices for the muid of Shane Varega. So the Gemara wants to know who is the author of that, yeah? Who is the author of our Mishnah that the Muad of Shein Varegel? It suffices to have a regular Shmira, Rav Yehuda, he, it's Rav Yehuda. Now again, Rav Yehuda and Rav Meir are not arguing regarding Shein Varegel, but they argue about Karen. They're arguing about the Muad of Karen. So what's the halach? It's an Kashubal of Maseir of Anob, fun of Maseir, Vyatsa Vehezek. Says that for a muid, a regular shmira does not suffice, and for a tam also it does not suffice. You need a high level shmira. Rav Yehuda says no. Tam chayiv muid potter. Rav Yehuda says no. Tam is chayiv a muid is potter. Meaning a muid, a regular shmira suffices. Shenem Rav Leishmenu Bala v'Shamaruze. Rav Leizer Oimer Ein Leishmila Sakin. Rav Leizer is the opposite extreme. He says even a high level shmira won't work. But what do you see? Rav Meir feels that an average level shmira is not good for a muid of Karen. 
Rabbi Yudah says it is. Our Mishnah, which is not talking about Karen, but it's talking about Sheva Regel, it says an average average Shmira suffices. That is Rav Yehuda Shita, not Rav Meir. So the Gemara says no. The answer is no. This is basically to the end of the daf. The answer is like this. Rav Meir said the average Shmira does not suffice for the mood of Karen. We thought that he said his opinion by the mood of Karen, and the same opinion would apply to the mood of Shane and Regal. The answer is no. Shane and Regal, the Torah is specifically more lenient with you. Meaning, even Rav Meir who feels that an average Shmira is not enough for the mood of Karen, feels that the average Shmira is enough for the mood of Shane Varegel. So our Mishnah, which says that an average Shmira suffices for Shane Varegel, could be universally accepted. I, Rav Meir, feels that a mood Shmira, average Shmira is not good enough. That was for the mood of Karen. Karen, the Torah, wants you to be very responsible. Shane and Regal, the Torah is more chill. And therefore, Shane and Regal, average Shmir is enough. How do I know this? There are four cases that the Torah is lenient. You don't have to guard it so strong. What are the four cases? Eloheim. Bar, Eish, Bar, a fire, Shane and Regal. So you see, Shane and Regal, the Torah is more chill. Therefore, although Rav Meir feels the average Shmira is not enough for the Muad of Karen, he feels it is enough for Shane Varegel. And that's author of our Mishnah. How do I know that the Torah is lenient with all these four categories? Let's go through each one. Bar, the Pasuk says, by a bar, The Pasuk says that if you dig a pit or uncover a pit and you don't cover it, you're The implication is that if you put a cover on it, you're fine, even if it's not the strongest cover. The average cover suffices. Eish, how do I know that by fire an average shmir is enough? Because the Pasuk says, you know who has to pay? The one who made the fire. The implication is, The implication is that you're only chayiv if you were as negligent as the one who made the fire. But if you tried to put the fire out, or you made a fire, and you had a shmir level, even though it was average, that's fine. Because you're not 100% guilty. Let's keep going. Shane, also the Torah was lenient. The Pasuk says that the animal consumes, as we'll see in a moment, beer is Shane. And the Pasuk says, The implication is you only chayiv if you let the animal eat. But if you put up any fight by doing an average shmira, that's enough. And Regal also, the Pasuk says that you send the animal and it breaks something. Veshilach is regal, as we'll see in a moment. Adavid came veshilach. Veshilach means that you sent it, which means you're only guilty if you sent it be a daim. But if you didn't send it be a daim, you tried to stop it, you did an average shmira, that's enough. Now, before we continue, we said that beer is shane and veshilach is regal. How do I know this? Vitanya, veshilach zeha regal. Because the Pasuk says, So Shilach is Regal, because you have the word Regal and Shilach. And Beer is Because the Pasuk says, The tooth consumes until the end. Yivar Haglal. Glal is, 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 is teeth. Yivar means consume. So the teeth, so Beer is consuming is with teeth. And the Gemara concludes its proof. So our Mishnah can be Rav Meir. I, the Mishnah says, the average Shmir suffices for Shane Varegel. I thought Rav Meir holds you need a high-level Shmir for Karen. The answer is for Karen you need a high-level Shmir, not for Shane Varegel. The Gemara says, 
basically, according to this, you see, our Mishnah said, look, this is one quick point, our Mishnah said that the average Shmira suffices in our Mishnah. Now, our Mishnah was talking about Shane Varegel. We thought at first, which are Mu'ad, we thought at first it would apply to the Mu'ad of Karen as well, and it's telling you that by Karen... Uh, a muad of Karen in average Shmir suffices, which is Rav Yehuda. And we said, no, 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 no. Our Mishnah is talking about Shein Varegel exclusively. Shein Varegel, the average Shmir suffices, and that could be universally accepted, but for a Karen, maybe you need a high-level high level Shmir, which is Rameir. So meaning even Rameir who feels that you need a high-level Shmir by Karen could agree to our Mishnah that a Shein Varegel is different. Then I'll prove it to you. What is our Mishnah talking about? A sheep. What's the type of damage a sheep does? Shein Varegel. What was the previous parak talking about? Ox, ox, ox. Always talking about ox, ox, ox. Why does our Mishnah talk about uh, talk about a sheep? Because the Mishnah wants to tell you we're not talking about Karen anymore. You see, if the Mishnah talked about an ox, you could say, well, ox damages through Karen. No, no, no. The Mishnah specifically changed it to sheep to tell you we are no longer talking about Karen. We're talking about Shane Varegel exclusively. And Dafka Shane Varegel, the Torah is more lenient with the average Shmira, but not Karen. I'll prove it to you. Our Mishnah specifically talked about sheep. The previous parak, we always talked about ox. Everything was with an ox. Nisni Shar, my why did the mission change the sheep? Because the mission did not want you to think that it was talking to uh, talk, talking about Karen when it said the average Shemir suffices. It's Dafka Shane Varega. And you also see from this Mishnah that Shane Varega are considered mood, which I think we knew at that point. Let's just do a little bit more and then we'll stop. Tanya, Omrav Yeshua, Arba Dvarma There are four cases where if you do them and you cause damage, you will not have to pay in courts in on earth. They will not make you pay because it's a grama, because it's not uh it's not with your hands, it's more you were the cause of the damage, but you didn't do it actively. But you will be punished in Shemaim. What are the four things? And we're gonna talk about them tomorrow. Elohim, those are the four things. If you make a hole in the fence before, uh, uh, let's say I, you have a sheep in your in your backyard, I make a hole in your fence and the sheep leaves. I do not have to pay for, the, and the sheep gets lost. I do not have to pay for the sheep because I didn't steal the sheep. I just made a hole. The sheep walked out on its own. I was gorim. I caused the sheep to be lost, but I didn't actually make the sheep lost. I will do not have to pay down here, but in Shemaim, I'm going to have to pay. Let's say I bend grain there's a fire across the street and i want your field to burn down not you obviously but i I want someone's field to burn down so what i do is i bend his his grain so it's a little bit closer and then it burns down i don't have to pay down here because it's not like i put the fire there i just made a little closer but i will pay in shemaim again all these cases we'll deal with tomorrow if you hire false witnesses to testify about someone and then they testify, you do not have to pay down here, but you have to pay in Shemaim. Again, the Gemara is going to talk about this. And if you know testimony that's beneficial to your friend, but you don't testify, and by doing, by you not testifying, he loses out in the court case, you don't have to pay. So let's say you're being taken to court for $1,000, you're being sued for $1,000. I have testimony that will exonerate you, but I don't. You lose the court case. I don't have to pay the thousand dollars, but I will be punished in Shemaim. All right, we'll deal with this tomorrow. I will stop here. Thank you.